Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. Our essay this week is called Lent Beyond Easter. It's based upon the lectionary readings for Sunday, March 7, 2010, the third Sunday in Lent. It's a guest essay by Marjolyn Armstrong. <clears throat> Marjolyn is Associate Professor of Law at the Santa Clara University School of Law and Junior Warden at St. Mark's Episcopal Church in Palo Alto, California. Lent Beyond Easter by Marjolyn Armstrong. As a child, my understanding of Lent was formed in the Catholic Church. I thought that Lent was about giving up something so we could be like Jesus who suffered and sacrificed in the wilderness for 40 days and nights. It's possible, of course, that I misunderstood what I was taught, but that explanation of Lent made sense within the religious worldview of my childhood, where the whole purpose of church was to help us win God's approval and become eligible for heaven after death. <clears throat> As I grew older and bounced between religions, Lent receded in significance. I went to college at a religious society of friends affiliated school, that is the Quakers, and sometimes attended the weekly meeting. Quaker religious practice was pretty much on the opposite end of the Christian spectrum from Catholicism, and the manner in which the two faiths observed Lent was quite illustrative of the extreme contrasts. Friends traditionally believe that the birth, crucifixion, and resurrection of Christ should be remembered each day of the year, not just on particular days. Many friends believe that it's hypocritical to fast during Lent and then to eat excessively during the rest of the year, so they choose instead to live simply all year. The Quaker perspective makes intellectual sense to my adult self, but how many Christians can actually live each day in remembrance of Christ's birth, crucifixion, and resurrection? <coughs> Were God to confront a Christian layperson at any random moment, would it not seem highly likely that the person had not, in fact, thought, much less lived in remembrance of Christ's life within the pre preceding 24 hours? <coughs> How well would most of us do if challenged with a pop quiz about how we lived out our faith that day? And so we read in the Gospels, Then Jesus told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, See here, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I find none cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? He replied, Sir, let it alone for, more, for one more year, until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good, but if not, you can cut it down. If God is the landowner of the parable, and Christians living each and every day in remembrance of Christ is the fruit God seeks, fruitless encounters must surely predominate in modern secular society. Most spiritual practices get relegated to Sabbath days and holy seasons. 
But the parable does not indicate that the landowner only visits on weekends and holy days. Yet even though the landowner encounters one fig-free fig tree after another, Christ, the parable's gardener, intercedes on humanity's behalf. If Christ believes that his caretaking can successfully bring forth fruit within the next year, he must see something alive within the bare plants. <clears throat> this potential for human blossoming under the ministrations of Jesus is where Christian traditions of seasonal Lenten sacrifice and discipline intersect with the Quakers' conception of Lent as undifferentiated from other seasons. Lent, at least in the northern hemisphere, straddles the end of winter and the beginning of spring, when the earth resumes, as T.S. Eliot put it, breeding lilacs out of the dead land, mixing memory and desire, stirring dull roots with spring rain. The Lenten season reflects the natural world as a personal time for intentional weeding, watering, and providing the garden nutrients for growth beyond Easter. Continuing throughout the entire year in the Quaker tradition. Certainly Christ's 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness were preparation for the ministration and sacrifices of his future and not penitence for previous transgressions. So I myself have come to view Lent as a time to start developing a positive new habit or behavior that helps sustain my health, faith, and ministry to others. A Lent dedicated to being mindful about taking care of our bodies and spirits is as holy as a Lent spent foregoing pizza or ice cream, particularly when some modicum of that mindfulness is incorporated into one's post-Easter life. My developing understanding of Lent revives yet another childhood memory, that of a favorite book called The Secret Garden by Frances Hodgson Burnett. I now see the story as another Lenten parable. Although I must have read the book a half a dozen times, I never really noticed that sometimes heavy-handed Christianity in the story, I never really noticed the sometimes heavy-handed Christianity in the story of two sickly and spoiled children, Mary and Colin, who find, who find a hidden garden neglected and overgrown. The garden is discovered in the Lenten springtime. When Mary found this garden, it looked quite dead, the order proceeded. Then something began pushing things up out of the soil and making things out of nothing. One day things weren't there, and another they were. By the novel's end, the children's work reviving the garden has helped nurse them back to health and humanity. Although Mary and Colin are unchurched, the garden stirs in them a nascent religious awe. When their friend Dickon sings the doxology, Colin says, That's a very nice song. I like it. Perhaps it means just what I mean when I want to shout out that I am thankful to the magic. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. Praise him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Not being familiar with the Anglican doxology written by Thomas Ken. 
My younger self did not read those words in the secret garden and hear a hymn as I do now. But from the first, I recognized that Mary and Colin's hearts and lives changed when they turned outward from themselves. Likewise, a Lent that does not focus on what we personally consume, but instead turns outwards from ourselves, can transform our lives even after Easter Sunday. Lent Beyond Easter, a guest essay by law professor Marjolyn Armstrong. For books this week, I review Chris Hedges' Empire of Illusion, The End of Literacy in the Triumph of Spectacle. New York Nation Books, 2009, 232 pages. The America that past generations has known and loved is gone, and it's not coming back, says Chris Hedges. The specter of totalitarianism is very real. And here I quote from Hedges, Our way of life is over. Our profligate consumption is finished. Our children will never have the standard of living we had. This is the bleak future. This is reality. There is little that President Obama can do to stop it. It has been decades in the making. It cannot be undone with $1 trillion or $2 trillion in bailout money. Nor will it be solved by clinging to the illusions of the past. Chris Hedges grew up as a pastor's kid in rural upstate New York. After graduating from Colgate University, he served for two years as a pastor in the violent ghetto of Roxbury in Metro Boston. It was an experience so unsettling that he left the church and seminary. After a year in South America, he completed his degree at Harvard Divinity School, though not without caustic opinions about his liberal professors who romanticized the poor whom they had never met, and the lectures which he experienced as quote-unquote intellectual shell games. After that, for 20 years, Hedges covered a dozen wars in Central America, Africa, the Middle East, and the Balkans. Those war experiences deeply inform his increasingly strident writing. Hedges is best read as a polemicist who unmasks the idols we eagerly worship, the state, nation, especially in its glorification of war, in legitimation of violence, race, religion, ethnicity, gender, and class. At a graduation speech that he delivered at Rockford College in May 2003, the audience booed Hedges from the stage for his critical remarks about the Iraq War. We now live in a culture seduced by death, a theme that draws upon Hedges' earlier book, War is a Force That Gives Us Meaning, 2002. Images have replaced words. Simplistic narratives distort complex problems. And illusions have supplanted reality. Hedges' current book explores five illusions in particular. Our celebrity culture of entertainment belies the illusion of literacy. 
Think Jerry Springer, Howard Stern, Glenn Beck in professional wrestling. Hedges then visits the Adult Video News Expo in Las Vegas to contemplate how pornography exemplifies the illusion not only of love, but the illusion also of sex. Rather, pornography epitomizes the commodification and exploitation of women and the glorification of cruelty and degradation. Most of our country's problems can be laid at the door of our elite universities, says, says Hedges, for they foster the illusion of wisdom while feeding at the trough of the corporate military complex. They utterly fail at fostering honest intellectual inquiry, much less moral or aesthetic reasoning. The quack science of positive psychology, which has now endowed chairs at prestigious universities and is endemic in corporate culture, peddles the illusion of happiness. And last, in his final chapter, Hedges concludes with the what he calls the illusion of America, as seen in the military, health care, corporatism, and the like. Many readers will not agree with Hedges' bleak conclusions about the death and disintegration of American culture, much less his strident tone. He makes no attempt to give anything like a balanced treatment. At times he pings from topic to topic in a stream of consciousness invective. At the end of his 200-page lament for what he calls our terrifying dystopia, his very last page insists that nothing at all can crush the human capacity of love. I agree with him and believe that's true, but it feels very much like a tacked-on moralism that's left unrelated to the problems raised throughout the book, if not an irrelevant point altogether. I'd love to see Chris Hedges turn his considerable talents, experiences, and passion toward that supreme human virtue, love, in his next book. Chris Hedges, Empire of Illusion. For film this week, I review The White Ribbon, 2009. It's a film from Austria. Director Michael Haneke filmed his latest study of human nature in black and white, but it includes many shades of gray moral ambiguity that by design are left unresolved. An elderly man narrates the strange events that unsettled his German village when he was a young schoolteacher just before the outbreak of World War I. A doctor had a suspicious accident. A farmer's wife dies in a fall. A barn burns to the ground, and even the child of the local baron is tortured. The placid conventions and conformity of the village are upended by fear and suspicion. In one gruesome scene, a note is left that quotes the psalm to the effect that the sins of the parents are visited upon their children. In director Michael Haneke's telling, the children imitate the dark impulses that we learn about their ostensibly respectable adults. 
The White Ribbon was nominated for an Academy Award as Best Foreign Film. It's in German with English subtitles. The White Ribbon, 2009. And finally, for the third week in Lent, for poems and prayers, we've posted Isaiah chapter 58, verses 6 to 9. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked to clothe him and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, Here I am. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for the third Sunday in Lent, March 7th, 2010. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin.